disarm shame communities that disarm shame. That's what I want to share about this afternoon. So kind of like this morning's stuff, but how we do that together and kind of empower and support each other to do that together in our communities. We want a solid foundation to start from. We want to have our heads around the problem, shame and sin, its root. So let's recap. Sin tries to get to us with a triple threat approach. Those three things are our nature, the enemy and the world. And sin opens the door to shame, the feeling and the belief that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Maybe it came from your sin or someone else's sin that has hurt you. Or maybe you don't know, but you're ashamed of who you are deeply in some way. Now let's get our heads around the cure. The love and grace of Jesus is an absolute affront to shame. As we walk with Jesus, we are transformed by this love and grace. And as that happens, we get better at realizing when shame is getting to us. And we notice when it gets to other people too. And we have the opportunity when we see people hurting to extend God's love and God's grace to them when they can't receive it for themselves. Uh, but sadly, um, in church, people just like feel judged. And we probably know people like mates that we've had who have like been to church and then left because they just get this judgmental vibe and have said things like, oh, when I'm around other Christians, I just feel like I'm not good enough and that God's judging me. So there's obviously a disconnect there. <laughs> um, and so I want to talk about love and grace again to remind us what it is that God is offering us and what we are offering other people. Romans 5.8 says, For God has shown his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Shame tells us that we're unworthy. But God so desired to have an unhindered relationship with us and to give us abundant life that he gave his only son. God shows us we are worthy. We are worth the greatest price. People are worth the ultimate sacrifice to God. This world treats people like trash. But we are loved by the good shepherd who leaves the flock of 99 to find that one. We are loved by the father who runs undignified down the driveway to welcome back his dropkick kid. Shame tells us that we are unworthy of belonging. But 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We have ultimate belonging in the family of God and he will never leave us or forsake us. Shame tells us that we are inherently flawed, that there is something deeply wrong with us. And love tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are image bearers of the living God. And day by day we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Love tells us that there is something inherently good about us it's true for us and it's true for everyone else when you feel condemned when words of shame echo in your mind remember who you are remember what God has done for you and let us remind each other 
Grace. Shame says, I'll never be good enough. Grace says, all good. You don't have to be. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Shame lures us into comparing ourselves with one another. It says, there are good people and bad people, and I must be one of the bad ones. This is a worldly mentality, a worldly framework. If grace is true, then that's a lie. Our righteousness is a gift from God. We didn't earn it. We're not better than anyone else, or worse than anyone else as far as God is concerned. Has someone ever called you a bad person or made you feel like you're a bad person? Well, they were wrong. (laughs) We're called to be humble, not to see ourselves as above others, but believing you're a bad person is not humility, that's shame. Do we all know that term self-flagellation? It means like getting a whip, like purposely whipping yourself to show that you're really sorry for the sin that you've done. It's hurting yourself, abusing yourself, until you feel like you've been sufficiently punished. You may have never literally whipped yourself, but what about verbally or with your thoughts? If you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for you, for someone has already suffered the punishment. Jesus was whipped. We don't need to whip ourselves. Grace says we can chuck that whip away. It's good. Has anyone ever called you a good person? And to clarify by this, like I think everyone here is good, so I don't mean that. I'm like, oh, I love you all. But um, to clarify, have they praised you for your moral uprightness or your good behavior to suggest that your good deeds make you a good person? Well, they were wrong too. Virtue doesn't make us good in God's eyes. And I'm actually so glad of that. For if it did, if I had to justify myself by my behaviour, then I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to be good enough for God and good enough for other people. And I'm never going to be able to rest in what Jesus has done for me. The gift of grace says, rest. You've been made right with God. When I had my own revelation of grace, I never realised until then how hard I'd been trying to please God. When I really began to experience grace, the burden of working for his love, and of always wondering if I'd done enough or if I was enough, fell off me. And it says the same thing to anyone wanting to follow Jesus. The gospel is so radically welcoming, and that's why we can be so radically welcoming. Because grace is indiscriminate. The most despicable person you know, God's grace is sufficient for them. He is waiting to pour his grace out on them. And so when we catch ourselves trying to earn it, or notice each other trying to earn it, we remind ourselves of grace. When we catch ourselves stuck in that cycle of condemnation, we remind ourselves of the cross. We chuck that whip away again. We've got to mull on it, meditate on it, until it sinks in again. Resting in grace is a good time. 
to recommend. And we can ditch judgment. I don't know, kind of, maybe we can figure out why we are like prone to judge. This is Paul on judgment from 1 Corinthians 4. I don't judge others. I don't even judge myself. First John talks about our own hearts condemning us, that we do have this tendency to judge ourselves. But actually, we can just let God do the judging and trust that because he knows our hearts and he knows other people's hearts better than we do. When we think we need to judge another person, that's pride and it doesn't help. The cure is the love and grace of Jesus. Pride says, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. But humility says, I've been there and I know how hard that is. Shame, as I have since learned, can stem from some pretty deep and gnarly stuff. So as I say all of this, I feel like I need to add that for some of us, I don't know, maybe all of us, we're going to need counselling or other types of support to help to untangle that really big cluster of a knot. I know for me to see real change, I needed the insight of a professional as well as the Holy Spirit. And could be quite a long journey. <laughs> this, is, this is like, I don't know, over three years ago for me and I'm talking about it now. So long journey, but a worthwhile journey. So we accept God's love for ourselves. We go deep on this love for ourselves. And then we share that love with other people. We love others with that kind of love, not like a nice enough kind of attitude, but that radical, crazy running down the driveway for them love. We accept his grace, and then we show others the same. God gave us love and belonging before we changed, before we could do anything to warrant that, so we do the same for others. And now we go to the other things God has offered us, which will go a long way, if not all the way for some things, for our freedom. It's the old freedom toolbox. So those three, if people can remember them, the three thingies were conviction, conviction. Yep. conviction. And, and repentance. Don't be surprised when conviction happens to you <laughs> and when it happens all around you. <laughs> When you're part of a community like this, when you're following Jesus, sooner or later you'll experience conviction. It's just natural. Christian community is a hostile environment to sin, and it's a hostile environment to dysfunction in your life. It's going to make things show up. And I never realized this so potently until my first year living in community. Like, wow, (laughs) I messed up. (laughs) But we don't need to fear this. Because when it comes up, do you know what that means? It means that fullness of life is trying to break through. Mm, (laughs) When the Holy Spirit causes agitation in here, it's an indication that something has got to go. That healing and restoration are imminent just around the corner. And this is a really great thing. If you're struggling under some kind of sin and shame then you're not living life abundantly. And perhaps like me, you have no idea what you are missing out on. So the Freedom Toolbox, we begin with the holy spanner of conviction. It's not going to catch on, eh? (laughs) 
that moment of clarity when you realize that you have been sinning or there's some kind of pain or shame in your life that has come from someone else's or that there's something there and you want to do something about it. When you experience conviction and you'll know, it's up to you if you're going to respond. Remember that condemnation and accusation come from the enemy and freedom and power come from the spirit. So take a moment to pay attention to what is happening in your mind and in you. Confession is the key that scripture gives us to get free from sin. It's clear that sin and shame grow in secret, that they alienate us from God and others. But as soon as they're born into the light, the power is broken and healing can begin. Just some practical tips on confession. Um, just use wisdom when you're going to go talk to somebody if you've got something to confess. Um, apart from just Rowan, I didn't share my confession with any men alone. I just felt it was kind of appropriate if I was going to talk to men that like their wives were there or like, you know, it was in that kind of context, especially because it was like a weird sex thing. I just thought, nah, you know, just like use your judgment and use your wisdom and go, huh, what's actually going to be good for me and good for them? Consider people who have the maturity of faith to handle what you have to say. Are they safe people? Are they trustworthy people? Do you know them? Likewise, if someone wants to confess something to you, use your wisdom there too. If you feel out of your depth, you can gently let that person know that you don't feel like the right person to hear it and you want some support or to bring them to someone else. This stuff can be very sensitive, so respect people's privacy and dignity. But when it happens well, confession is a beautiful thing. When we hear another's confession, we get to offer that person love and grace. We get to tell them, you're not a pervert. You're not a pervert. It's good. We get to tell them, God forgives you. Be at peace. Repentance. Repentance is the action we then take. The full 180 to start going in the opposite direction. For me, that involved counselling and prayer. I also had a friend be my accountability buddy. So I gave someone specific permission to text me every week and say, how are you going? That stuff you're going with. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I consented to that. It was good. Repentance could involve a whole lot of things, though. But basically, you do whatever it takes. Um, I think I've got time for a, a quick anecdote. Yeah. If you're going to repent, you just want to go whole hog on that and you want to do the thing that is going to liberate you and set you on that new path of healing. So I used to work in this insurance place and there was this guy that, there was like a new guy that came into the office and he was just ah oh, super annoying and really got on my nerves. And I'm not going to do an impression of him, although I thought about it because I think it would undermine what I'm saying. But <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was just like, he really was just like, oh, rubbing out the wrong way. And I remember it was like the end of the day on a Friday. It was 4.30. Everybody had knocked off. Everyone else had knocked off to have a drink. And I was scrambling to finish some work. And he came over and sat in the office chair and was just slowly rotating. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, you got anything on on the weekend? And I was like, no, what about you? And he's like, oh, well, taking the kids to sports and then this and that and the other. And then on Sunday morning, I'm going to church. And I just like froze what I was doing, like slowly turned to face him. 
And I was like, what? What did you say? It's like, yeah, you're going to church. And inside I was just thinking, man, this guy's a Christian. <laughs> and I, there must have been something else there happening for me that I thought I could kind of like not like this person. But then once I realized they were part of like my family of faith, I was like, crap. I've got to love you. Anyway, I was just like dying on the inside because I had definitely, like my dislike for this guy had come out in my, the way I was talking to him and kind of my expressions and my interactions with him. And I was like, it must be obvious that I don't like this guy. And so I went home just feeling like, man, I've got to do something about this. And then at Monday at work the next week, I was like, I have to apologise to him. I've just got to go. I've got to say, got to say sorry. So I went into his office and I was like, Bob, it's not his name, but you guys will never meet him. I could just say his name. Who cares? But anyway, <laughs> like, I was like, I need to say something to you. I said, the way that I have been treating you has not been loving and has not been respectful. And I'm really sorry about that. And I'm going to like, really make an effort to change my behavior. And he said, Oh, I hadn't actually realised. <laughs> but the confession and kind of like my, my act, that repentant act of apologising for him, I'm like, ah, I think there was actually more for my benefit than for his, that I need to humble myself in those situations because I, was, I had justified my jerky behaviour and that wasn't cool. So you just got to do what you got to do, no matter how awkward or hard that is, to be free. Just make those choices to walk in that path of freedom. I guess another story is I paid back the IOD like three grand that I owed them, that they didn't know I owed them because I was secretly working a cash job for like two years. <laughs> and that's kind of like a more convoluted story, and I'll spare you the details. But... <laughs> I was always stressed about money and I was a student and I was kind of like, eh. But then I was convicted in a blueprint church one evening about trusting God with money. And God spoke to me and was like, what about that tax you haven't paid? I was like, sheesh. And I was saving for travel at the time. And like, man, like three grand is a lot of money that can really get you somewhere in a, uh, when you're traveling. And it was weird the things that uh, happened before I told the IOD and paid them money my HR person at work said, Lauren, don't give them your money. Just put it on your student loan. Like, she was really discouraging me from fessing up. And I was like, you don't understand, I've got to do this. And then I actually had a friend phone me as I was getting ready to leave the country and ready to tell the IRD and pay them this money. And she was like, don't tell the IRD that you owe them money because they can stop you from leaving the country. And she was just like, don't pay them, don't call them. I was like, what the, what the heck? I'm telling them, I'm paying them money. Anyway, I paid it. And kind of that repentant act was really in response to trusting God. It wasn't really about three grand. Like, what difference does it make to the IOD if some student pays them three grand? It's just nothing. It's just a drop in the bucket. But for me, it was submitting to trusting God and being like, God, I am going to trust you to provide for me and to meet my needs. You just got to do what you got to do. We want fullness of life for ourselves and for others in our community. We want them to have that unhindered relationship with God too. We want them to have freedom from power of sin and death and them to be filled with the Spirit to overflowing. 
And the power of testimony is pretty significant in this. Hopefully there'll be a time for you, like God willing, when the time is right, when you might stand up here and say, this is what Jesus has done for me. Because it's for our benefit, but it's also for the benefit of everyone else. We need reminding of who God is and what God is like because our own nature, the enemy and the world are telling us the opposite. Blueprint and now Renew has always been the type of place where people can share their struggles and be accepted and be loved. Other people have role modeled this to me. And so when it came to my big moment of confession, I knew I was in a community that could hear it. It's been pretty powerful. Okay, I got like one more point that doesn't fit perfectly in here, and then one more mini point, and then the wrap up. <laughs> so, <laughs> ah, something I want to share is Galatians 6 1, and that scripture is if someone is overcome by sin, then you who are godly should gently and humbly lead them back onto the right path, remembering that next time it might be you who's in the wrong. So, this is kind of a full on challenge. There's quite bold love to confront someone about something. And it's also something you can really stuff up. So this, from, this being from someone who has confronted people in love before and kind of just like obviously my heart was not in the right place and I've just been a jerk about it. So I would say begin with prayer. That if there is someone you know and you're like, oh man, that person is struggling, just pray for them. Pray for them before you think about talking to them. And allow God to work in your heart in case you've got motives that are not right. Like, are you talking to them for their benefit or for your benefit? Just, like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And, like, do your due diligence with God and let God search your heart. I remember Kirsty Johnson saying one time, don't ever go and talk to someone about something like this unless you've wept over them in prayer first. It's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Wept over them in prayer first that you have actually allowed yourself to become like humble and loving towards them before you approach them. So this is, kind of, this is something that you should be careful about and wise about, but it's, quite, it's worth the risk, because I'm thinking specifically for me, um, not about times I've confronted people, but about times that they've confronted me. And I can think, I remember them very clearly, having someone who really <laughs> loves me and cares about me and who is close to me, broach something and to say, hey, I've noticed that you seem to be struggling with this thing that I know that you struggle with. <laughs> and, man, it was not shaming. It was humbling to hear that stuff, but not shaming for me. And by the end of the conversation, you just feel really loved. So you think, man, this person's noticed and they've had the courage to come and say something to me because they're just as committed to my freedom as Jesus is and like their own journey in themselves. And I was just like, flip, like they're hard yarns to have, but they are really good yarns to have. Final mini thought, if we are going to be a community that disarms shame, then we can't use shame as a weapon. And this is, <laughs> she knows what I'm talking about. Um, I find this hardest because I, I do this, God help me, especially to people I'm closest to. I don't really know why, you know, we just kind of misbehave a bit with the people that love us the most. But when somebody is behaving in a way or kind of like whatever they're doing and you think, 
uh, they shouldn't be doing that, like voice of pride or whatever, and you respond to them in a way that shames them, even subtly, like it might just be your eye roll or kind of um, just kind of like letting them know that you don't approve. That does not help them. It doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. Again, grace and love are the cure when people are struggling with sin or acting in a way because of the shame in their life. So we don't use shame as a weapon. We actively avoid going down that path and we say, no, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be gracious because that's how God treats me. So we accept God's love. We accept God's grace. We love with his love. We extend his grace. And we practice together conviction, confession, and repentance. 